You are listening to the Maastricht Diplomat. French citizens in the mainland, the overseas territories and abroad are going to the polls twice this year. Actually four times, but I'll get back to that later. After a turbulent five years of centrist rule by President Emmanuel Macron, French politics is at a turning point. The 2022 presidential and general elections, which were deemed the most predictable in recent decades, are eventually having their share of plot twists. While the presidential election last month ended up being a dilemma between a centre-right European enthusiast and a far-right nationalist, leaving almost all the others in shambles, the upcoming general election in June is gaining slightly more high than it usually does. Today, we're discussing what it means for French politics within the constitutional framework of the Fifth Republic and what we may expect from the next five years. Salut tout le monde et bienvenue. My name is Jonathan Vijay Ratner. I'm a third-year European studies student from France and Sri Lanka. In France, every five years, people elect a new president as well as new members of the National Assembly. Both elections are usually separated by an interval of six to eight weeks in late spring. Elections in France, except for the European election, all occur in two rounds. This year, the first round of the presidential election happened on the 10th of April and the second on 24th of April. The general election will take place on the 12th and 19th of June. So, here's how it works. On Sunday, you go to the polling station. There you show your voting card as well as a piece of idea that may have expired up to five years ago. On a table lie 12 stacks of paper cards, each bearing the name of one candidate. You're supposed to take at least two in order not to disclose who you're voting for. I took one, two, three, just in case I changed my mind at the last second. You then go into an isoloir and slide one of the cards into the blue envelope that reads République Française, making sure that you haven't sketched anything onto the card. That is, unless you want to make your vote null. You can also not put any card into the envelope and your vote will count as blank. However, unlike in Belgium, blank votes are not counted in France. You then go to the ballot box, have the assessors verify you are indeed you. Drop your envelope in the box and sign. There you go. You just completed your citizen's duty and you proudly step out of the police station. <laughs> With the presidential election, if no one gets at least 50 plus 1% of the popular vote in the first round, the two candidates who receive the most votes qualify for a second round, where people then have to vote for one or another. If you have a presidential system, if you want to elect the president of the republic, you know, by popular vote, how do you do it? I think there is no no clear alternative to, to the two-round system. Bruno de Witte is a professor of European law at Maastricht University and an amateur of French politics as he is an avid reader of newspaper Le Monde. The alternative would be a one-round system where the one who gets most votes is president of the republic, which, which happens in a number of countries. For example, in Latin America, I think it's quite common to do that. Is that more democratic? So that, then you get somebody who gets 26% of the votes in the first round. He's elected or she's elected president of the republic because all the others got even less. So the, the two-round system for presidential elections is, is more democratic than a one-round system, I would say. In the latest presidential elections, the person eventually elected president received between 20 and 30% of the popular vote in the first round. In the two-week interim period, the candidates who did not qualify give voting instructions to the supporters, 
Some call them to vote for one, some for the other, some do not give instructions because they do not agree with either. Until 2017, it was quite predictable who would win because parties were organized within the left-right scheme and the second round almost always had the socialist candidate versus the center-right one. Only in 2002 was the left wing eliminated as far-right extremist Jean-Marie Le Pen qualified with President Jacques Chirac, creating a massive shockwave in France. A phenomenon called the Republican Front led to Chirac being elected with 82% of the popular vote in the second round. The majoritarian mentality can also be seen in the parliamentary elections. Right now, France has 577 single-member constituencies, also elected through a two-round first-past-the-post system. I think the main reason is that it usually leads to clear majorities um, in the parliament, and therefore it saves France from what most other countries have, namely very difficult coalition negotiations before you get the government. You know, in countries like Belgium and the Netherlands, for example, the parties routinely spend almost a year in, in, in negotiating a coalition government after elections because we have proportional representation. Whereas the, the French system, so far at least, has almost always ensured a clear majority for one political line in parliament and therefore that facilitates the composition of the government and it facilitates also the conduct of public policy by the government. It's, it's a factor of stability. As the presidential and parliamentary elections happen almost simultaneously, the president usually always gets an overwhelming majority in parliament. If the elections happen at the same time, it's logical, one would think, that the voters will go for the same choice. You know, that after they've voted a president, they will then vote at the legislative uh, elections, they will vote for his party. Basically, the president who's the boss, because he's the one who appoints the prime minister, who can dismiss the prime minister, appoint a new one, so that he's the boss. And so Macron, for the last five years, was the boss. 2002 was also the first time people were voting for a president for a term of five years. Before that, it was seven. Meanwhile, the parliamentary term was always five years, which means that before 2002, both elections would often occur at different times. On three occasions, in 1986, 93 and 97, this led to a cohabitation government. Cohabitation uh, is, is a result of the fact that in, in constitutional terms, the um, powers are divided. There's a sort of separation of powers between the president of the republic and the government. Um, the two, two branches of the executive, if you want, which is a, a typically French phenomenon. Um, and of course, the government needs the support of a majority in parliament in order to be able to get the laws passed and the budget passed. Now, most of the time, the president and the government belong to the same political party or same line. But it has happened in the past that given that the parliamentary elections used to be at different points of time than the presidential elections, that in year one, people elected president A, and then three years later at parliamentary elections, the, the voters voted for the opposition, you know, for the, the, the party that was against the president. And then the president had to appoint the leader of the opposition as the prime minister. And that's what they called cohabitation. So you had a president and a government belonging to different political camps. In 86, the socialist François Mitterrand had been president for five years already when the parliamentary election happened. For the first and only time, proportionality was applied to the results on a département level. A département is the second tier of local administration in France, below the regions but above the municipalities. And so, in 86, each département had a set number of seats in Parliament, and each party would get a share of those, reflecting the share of votes they earned in the specific département. This led to the far-right party Front National, or FN, making to the Parliament for the first time in history. 
Mitterrand had actually gambled in it to make sure that the centre-right wouldn't secure the majority. However, the centre-right coalition did win the election, and Jacques Chirac became Prime Minister. For two years, he and his government introduced a set of neoliberal measures in line with what Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan were doing respectively in the United Kingdom and the United States. Mitterrand could not do much to prevent those measures, as the president actually only has a limited set of competences as per the constitution. The president still has powers of his or her own. Um, the president is the chief of the army. He has a foreign affairs power to represent France also. For example, at the meetings of the European Council uh, in Brussels of the European Union, the president of the Republic will represent France. Now, in times of cohabitation, in practice, he went, the president, together with the prime minister. So both sides of the political fence were represented in, in European meetings. But there is this, still this idea that the, the president represents France to the outside world to, to a large extent. But that's basically it. So in times of cohabitation, you get a sort of parliamentary government where you have the government being in charge of policymaking with the support of a majority in the parliament. As the French started being dissatisfied with Chirac's policies, Mitterrand, who had led back for two years, grew in popularity and easily won the 88 presidential election. The first cohabitation was a constitutional challenge for the French president and government, and so when the second came in 93, Mitterrand and the centre-right were better prepared. The period between 93 and 95 was nicknamed the Velvet Cohabitation, as both Mitterrand and Prime Minister Édouard Balladur constantly tried to achieve consensus. Under Jacques Chirac's term as president, a third and last cohabitation happened. All the left parties of parliament united within the plural left coalition and won the 1997 parliamentary election. This socialist-led government, with Prime Minister Lionel Jospin, introduced key measures such as the 35-hour work week and a civil union for all couples, regardless of gender. The presidential term reform was also implemented then through a referendum in 2000. For the French, this third cohabitation was the last straw. However, after five years, Jospin and Chirac grew closer together, so much that their respective programs for the 2002 presidential election were pretty similar. An illustration of this consensual mindset was the 1998 Football World Cup, Combined France in France. The multicultural makeup of the French team inspired the president and the prime minister to champion the writing cry Black Blanc Beurre, which means black, white, and Arab, and meant as a pastiche of the description of the national flag, Bleu Blanc Rouge. The 2022 elections are happening in quite an unusual context. In the last five years, France has been through almost other things. The Yellow Vest movement, which protested against Macron's liberal measures, followed by great national debates. Nous sommes en guerre. The COVID-19 pandemic, with the first two-month lockdown, which was one of the strictest in Europe. The rising cost of life and the war in Ukraine. La France se tient aux côtés de l'Ukraine. Not to mention that France is currently in charge of the rotating presidency of the Council of the European Union. Emmanuel Macron used to be the Minister of the Economy of Socialist President François Hollande. Nonetheless, when he stepped down in 2016 and launched his own movement, En Marche, he denied being neither left nor right. Instead, he put forward a progressives against conservative spectrum, claiming to be more of a progressive himself. As the 2017 race for the Élysée started, the Élysée being the residence of the French president, Macron was an outsider. The Republican candidate François Fillon was one of the favorites after pulling a surprise win at the centre-right primary election, but he soon plummeted after it was revealed that he was involved in a number of corruption cases. Meanwhile, the left wing couldn't agree to unite and Macron is sending in the polls, together with Marine Le Pen. Macron and Le Pen qualified for the second round in 2017. After a catastrophic interim debate, Le Pen lost to Macron, who got 66% of the popular vote. In the following general election, his party alone got the absolute majority with 208 seats, and the centrist coalition won a total of 356. 
As Bruno said, for the past five years, Macron has been the boss, sending his first prime minister home when the latter started showing more personality than he did. The En Marche party has failed at gaining popularity at the local level, getting a majority in only a handful of municipal and departmental councils and in none of the regional assemblies. On the other hand, the socialist and republican parties have struggled to find leading figures at the national scale. So, ahead of the 2022 election, it was obvious for everyone that Macron would win again. The main question was, who would be the frontrunner? In a primary election where the main topics of discussion were security, immigration and Islam, the Republicans chose the president of the Ile-de-France region, Valérie Pécresse. But she proved to be a very poor public speaker, thus tanking her campaign. The Socialists chose the mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, who had a hard time wiping off her image of a Persian elitist. Likewise, other left-wing parties picked their candidate independently, and an attempt at having a people's primary election for a unique left-wing candidate failed, as it provided yet another candidate, former Justice Minister Christian Taubira. The left-wing parties struggle with their ego and preferred highlighting their differences rather than their common values. No one wanted to pull up for another. However, Jean-Luc Mélenchon from the party La France Insoumise and running with the People's Union Coalition remained the leading left-wing figure throughout. On the far right, Marine Le Pen continued to polish the image of a party which could once easily bear the label of Nazi with her father Jean-Marie. What French journalists called the de-demonization process went so far that she stopped advocating for a French exit of the European Union instead for a profound reform of European integration which preserves national sovereignty. But Le Pen had to face competition from columnist Eric Zemmour, who had already been convicted for racist hate speech, and who claims that France is going through a great replacement of his civilization by that of immigrants. Zemmour has long been a television celebrity and was very much hyped by the media, and for a long time he was scoring quite high in the polls. But with 12 candidates and only two qualifiers, and eventually one president, you can't just vote for your favorite. I mean, you can, but if they're one of the smallest candidates, your vote won't really count much. This leads to the vote utile, meaning useful votes, that also happens in other countries with first-past-the-post systems like the United Kingdom and Canada, albeit under different names. If you know your candidate won't make it to the second round, you go for a candidate with similar ideas and values. This can explain why Macron manages to get votes, despite not being from one of the traditional parties. The more liberal part of the socialists like his progressive thoughts on social matters, and centre-right voters appreciate his economic policies. For other candidates, Votetil can also be good omen as people who initially supported minor candidates resort to them to increase the chances of having a president they at least partly agree with. So, as the presidential election got closer, it became more and more clear that Le Pen was the leading far-right candidate. And in the last two weeks, Mélenchon called on the leftist voters to Votetil for him. While citizens are going to the polls, it is important that everyone votes en âme et conscience, which is French for listen to your heart. Thus, by law, no opinion poll is allowed during the election weekend, up until the last polls close at 8 o'clock. That's why, at every election, each network tries to come up with the most creative and intense ways of building up suspense before revealing their first estimations at 8. And then, most French people are actually disappointed, just like the supporters of Jean-Luc Mélenchon. On the 10th of April, commercial network TF1 predicted that Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen would qualify for the second round with respectively 28.6% and 24.4% of the popular vote. Mélenchon still achieved a huge result with more than 20% of the popular vote. He is the biggest surprise of the first round. Later that night, he got even closer to Le Pen so much that public broadcaster France Télévisions decided to show three names instead of two for the qualifiers. It was eventually Macron and Le Pen who made it to the second round, but Mélenchon was only 400,000 votes behind. 
On the night of the first round, his supporters, who I was with, went out on the streets and marched towards the main rallying point of their candidates, chanting slogans as well as the Internationale to protest against the result. I'm very disappointed, but at the same time, I feel very confident because the score was better than the last time in 2017. And also we have a strong uh, united force with uh, Union Populaire. So I think it will be, it will be, I don't know, I feel like um, a lot of power right now with Zach. all the activity you can see here, all the young people who are here and motivated, and we will be continue to fight again and again, and I think we're ready for it. We don't have really the choice, actually. This supporter also expresses their disappointment, but also celebrates Mélenchon's even higher score and points out that he managed to assemble a force that has rarely been seen in the country. Mélenchon only told his supporters not to give a single vote to Le Pen. He didn't call on them to vote for Macron. Most of the people I met on the 10th of April decided not to vote in the second round. To be honest, I will not vote any for Macron or Le Pen. I think it's like the same shit for me, even if you have, you have one more, more fascist. I mean, honestly fascist, but uh, the other one is shitty in the same way. So to, to my perspective, I don't want to vote for the second tour. Going briefly through the rest of the results of the first round, Eric Zemmour fell flat, with only 7% of the popular vote, but still getting fourth place. The once almighty socialists and republicans ended up at a historic low and both failed to pass the 5% threshold that would allow them to get the compensation from the state on their company expenses. Just like Mélenchon, many other candidates did not publicly support any other frontrunners. So until the last moment, no one was 100% sure that Macron would win again, considering that Mélenchon's voters were expected to be divided in three. Those who refused both Macron and Le Pen and who would abstain, those who would vote for Macron for the sake of the Republican Front, and those who would vote for the candidate who, of the two, appeals more to the working class, Le Pen. In the end, Macron won with just 58%, a lower score than in 2017, and far, very far, from Chirac's 82% against Jean-Marie Le Pen. Macron's re-election is a non-event in this election. The key takeaways are Le Pen achieving her highest score ever, and the left wing paying the price of disunity. For the latter, the first round was a wake-up call. The day after, the first secretary of the Socialist Party asked for unified force ahead of the parliamentary election. Even before the second round occurred, Mélenchon asked the French people to elect him prime minister in June. He already had a coalition behind him, but it was not enough. The Union Populaire, or People's Union, gathered a bunch of small leftist parties and was led by Mélenchon's La France Insoumise. The People's Union program, which included a raise of the minimum wage to 1,400 euros per month, a retirement at 60 years old, a monthly 1,000 euro grant for every student, as well as a sixth republic with a fully parliamentary constitution, was labeled far left by their opponents. Because of this etiquette, Mélenchon would have had a hard time getting an amount of votes large enough at the general election. A larger union was indeed needed. This was achieved in what actually was a week, but really felt like two months. After signing a first deal with the Green Party, the People's Union was renamed to Nouvelle Union Populaire Écologique et Sociale, which means New People's Ecologic and Social Union. The supporters and the media often referred to it using the acronym NUPES, pronounced NUP. The Communist Party and finally the Socialists joined the Union as well, not without difficulties. For each party respectively, the main two points of contention were the phasing out of nuclear power, which the Communists do not want, and the clause of disobedience to the European Union for the Socialists. Mélenchon is more of a sovereignist himself and has criticized the EU for being too economically liberal. 
Some key measures that the noob want to implement go against the utilities, and even the Greens, who have historically been avid federalists, agreed to risk infringement procedures in the name of climate and social justice. In early May, posters reading Mélenchon Prime Minister were repasted throughout France. Now, for those of you who come from countries with a parliamentary system like the Netherlands, the UK or India, this is quite a common practice. In France, since we already have the president to look up to, many politicians ran to radio studios to call out this initiative, saying it is an anti-democratic move. I'll just let Bruno comment on it. Well, that's a bit nonsense because the choice of the prime minister will be determined by the, the election results of the you know, parliamentary elections. So if Mélenchon, or at least the coalition of parties that he's been able to put together, if they would get a majority of seats in the chamber, in, in the parliament, then Macron would have to appoint him as prime minister. And that's not undemocratic. That's it, it, you could say it's inconsistent from the side of voters. That they, you know, they're not consistent in, in the expression of their votes. But that's it. You know, that's democracy. From a democratic perspective, he's perfectly right to say, OK, you've, you've now voted for Macron to the voters now vote for me for my coalition of parties at the at the parliamentary elections it's the normal game ever since the new coalition has been secured the alliance has been leading the polls ahead of the general election with around 30 percent the french public news service france info is predicted that new candidates would qualify for the second round in 471 constituencies more than any other party and out of those 471 they would get the first place in the first round in 261. This makes Mélenchon and his team confident that a fourth cohabitation could happen, which would be a first since the 2000 reform. However, many political science scholars think it would need a miracle. France Info also predicts that in most constituencies, the second round would pit the NUP against Macron's En Marche party. And in such situations, one, one is likely to see a repetition of what we saw in the presidential elections, namely that since the Macron candidate will be the one of the center, they, they will get extra votes in the second round for those who want to oppose the extreme right or the left for being elected. So that phenomenon that we saw in the presidential elections will probably be repeated in the parliamentary elections. And that factor, I think the fact that, that Macron's alliance is in the center of politics makes it likely at this point that he will actually obtain a, a majority of seats. But of course, it could turn out differently because the, the electorate is very volatile, as we've seen in France. So things can change. But there is a month to go to the general election, and France always had plot twists to offer. Mélenchon's rise in the presidential election almost happened overnight. And even if the NUP fails to secure a majority in parliament and form a government, it's unclear who would win said majority and how big it will be. If none of the main coalitions gets a majority of 50% of the seats, then we will have real coalition or the need for a real coalition. Imagine that Macron's alliance gets, let's say, 40% of the seats and the left-wing alliance gets 30% of the seats in parliament then there will, there will have to be some kind of coalition and government, which would be a, an absolute novelty in France. So it is possible. It depends just on the results of the elections. If Macron's party secures a majority, chances are high the new will be the main opposition force with quite a significant number of seats. We'll then have to see how strong the alliance is in parliament. In both cases, it's going to be an interesting five years. So what do you think? Can a left-wing coalition win a general election so soon after Macron just got re-elected? What would this mean not only for France, but also Europe? Let us know your thoughts and opinions and keep the conversation going on our social media channels. I'll leave you to it. This has been Jonathan with The Master Diplomat. Thanks for being with us. Et à la prochaine. This podcast was written and hosted by Jonathan. The executive producer was Rue. 
The music was created by Stone Ocean and the audio technician was Shadow. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. You've been listening to the Maastricht Diplomat.